This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Well, good afternoon to you. This is 101.9 High FM. I'm Nikki Seberini, and you're listening to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. And so the question I have to ask you today is, how are you feeling and how were you when you woke up this morning? Was it just a, another day, a kind of another Groundhog Day experience? Did you wake up thinking about all the things you had to get through? Or did you wake up and just for a moment be silent and be very, very grateful for yet another day? How do you then go into your day and what do you think throughout the day? You know, we really, really hope that on the DL Link show we get you to think Think about these things. We get you to live in the moment and most importantly, live with gratitude and, and really make the most of, of everything that we have, however it is packaged. And so we, we love to bring you inspiring people. We love to bring you inspiring stories, information, cutting edge technology. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed and I'm so excited, um, by the guest who is joining us today. He is a True, true warrior. Um, he is, um, he's a speaker. He's an executive coach. He is a humanitarian, an international best-selling author. And as I said, a warrior. Our cancer warrior today is Michael Crossland. He's speaking to us from Australia. We are delighted that he's taken time out to share his story and his insights with us. So I'd like to welcome Michael to the show. Michael, welcome. Wonderful, wonderful to have you on the show today. Good afternoon and wonderful to be here. Thank you so very much for your interest in what I have to share and uh, I'm delighted to be a part of your program. Well, Michael, I've, you know, I've watched so many videos. I've read so much about you and um, you touch lives wherever you go because of your authentic, real, incredible self. You know, it's not just the story, it's the person that comes across each and every time you connect with people and each and every time you share your story. But I'm not going to say anymore. It's time for our listeners to experience Michael Crossland because you, you've you had a challenge really from the very first year you spent in this world you were challenged. And I don't want to interrupt you, Michael, but perhaps you can just share with the audience um, when you were just under an age or a year old and you were diagnosed with a cancer and the kind of treatment you had to go through and and the the incredible strength of character um, of, of your mother. If you could just share that with our audience, we really would appreciate it. Absolutely. I think that perspective is such a powerful thing and I think it's so important in life that sometimes we step out of our own shoes and look at life through someone else's eyes and I'm sure that all of your amazing listeners that are tuned in today all have a story. They all have a challenge. They all have pain and suffering in some way. But I, I truly believe that it's not the adversity in your life that defines you. It's how you deal with your adversity that allows you to live remarkable lives. And my journey began as a as an 11-month-old age boy. I went to the hospital with my mum and my sister. My sister had an ear infection. And I'm much more of a hugger. I don't really do the handshake thing. I like to give people good old hugs and I gave the doctor a hug, an innocent hug, and his knee brushed my stomach. And he felt my stomach and thought that it was far too firm for an 11-month-old baby. So I was taken to Coffs Harbour Hospital and then airlifted to Sydney Hospital. And the following morning, I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage 4. 
the doctor said there was no chance of survival to enjoy the next few months with the family because there was nothing that they could do. But like everybody on this planet, we all have choices, and the choices that we make each and every day can help reshape, remold, and redefine our future. And my mum asked one question, and that question was, I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying is. I want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. And the doctors, unfortunately, gave my mum the very sad and tough news that I had a 96% death rate and to go home and to enjoy those next few months. But I was so blessed and so fortunate that my mum looked at my life not being 96% empty, but she looked at my life being 4% full. So I started chemotherapy on my first birthday. My chemotherapy cycle was nine days on and three days off, uh, not for weeks or months, but I was on that same cycle for many years, hoping and praying that one day I was allowed to go home. And one day a doctor came in and told my mum that they were terribly sorry that the tumour had built up a resistance. It had taken over half of my body and it was pushing up into my aorta and crushing my heart. And they said that I needed to go into surgery. I went into surgery and six hours later the doctors came out and said that there was nothing that they could do and that they were sorry they'd done everything. And um, sadly, my father and my three older sisters were flown down from Coffs Harbour to Sydney, which is about a seven-hour drive or an hour flight, and they came into my room to say goodbye. You know, I I can't imagine the pain and suffering that they would have had to have gone through to be in those shoes on that specific day. But the next day, there was an American doctor. He came in, he was telling my family about a trial drug that they were going to trial on 25 patients. And we truly believe that outside of love, hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. And I think that if you can instill hope into somebody's life, you can instill courage, determination. It's amazing what you can achieve with just a little bit of hope. So we started that trial drug with 24 other families. And unfortunately, within 24 hours, we were all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. The after effects of this drug were so bad that we were completely covered from head to toe in distance. Um, and sadly, what they would do to try and control our temperatures and prevent our brains from frying is they would wrap us up in bandages and they would lie us in baths full of ice. And I was on that, um, on that same treatment for, for well over 12 months, but unfortunately the side effects took its toll, not just on me aggressively, but um, fatally on the other 24, and they all sadly passed away. And I, I say to everybody that I speak to all around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones. And I never say I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still alive. And I say I'm one of the lucky ones because I wasn't my mum. Mm. Because my mum, she was the one that truly had it tough. She had to make a choice every single day um, to inject a drug into a child that has killed every single person that's ever taken it. And the day that I was finally allowed to go home, um, the doctor said to my mum, Kerry, your son... We have no idea how or why he's still here, but he can go home. But what followed is something that still scares mum today. The doctor said that I would never go to school, I would never play sport, I'd be a housebound baby, and if I reach my teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And mum came through the curtains, and I made out I didn't hear what the doctor said, and I said, what did the doctor say? And my beautiful mum said to me, the doctor's told me that everything's going to be okay. Sure, Michael. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting listening to this story. I, I'm, my, my, my body's filling with all types of emotion and I'm sure that I'm echoing how everyone else is feeling listening to your story right now and just 
not even you know being able to try and imagine what it is to be a mother and to have to make that kind of a decision. I actually watched a couple of interviews of your mom, an incredible, incredible human being. And she always seems to talk about miracles. And she says, we believe in miracles. And um, she would not entertain anything else. Um, for you, Michael, growing up with a mother like that, and obviously, you know, this is how your family were. Would, did you ever have moments of doubt? Did you ever have moments when you were you were in these baths because you, of this high temperature and 12 months of this awful, awful medication? Did you have times when you just had enough? And, and how, how was your family during those times? Yeah, I think to your point, uh, my mother certainly instilled some really powerful things. She instilled optimism, she instilled resilience and courage, and she certainly instilled a never-give-up attitude. And she certainly taught me at a very young age, as I said earlier, that it's not the adversity in your life that defines you, it's how you deal with it. And she certainly made me uh, me get up out of bed every day and my body or my mind didn't want to. Um, I think that if I reflect back on growing up, yes, there was, there was plenty of days where mentally I was extremely challenged. I, I remember my mum let me go to school for the first time and I imagined how school was going to be. It was going to be this amazing time where I was going to have amazing friends and enjoy my my opportunities to learn and grow and be educated. And and um, after going to school for a little while, I, I realised that, that my time at school was harder than my time in hospital because there wasn't one day in hospital that I got picked on. And there probably wasn't one day at school where I didn't get picked on. Cancer Boy and Burnley and Obstifier and Baldy. You name it, I've heard all the names that you could be called. I, I remember sitting on a nebulizer every recess and lunchtime and watching the kids play in the play, playground, just hoping and praying that one day I was allowed to be like all the other normal kids and enjoy the simple things that we that we take for granted. And my mum wanted me to be able to have a dream and a goal. She made me set dreams and goals and she... She let me play the game that I loved, and that was baseball. And my dream and goal was to play baseball in America. And she, she drove that in me and allowed me to believe in myself. And unfortunately, probably the darkest day as a teenager was when I was I was 12 years old, or just before my teenage years. When I was 12, I got really sick. I had glandular fever, and I remember taking a deep breath in one afternoon, and the pain that I felt in my chest was. It's something I'll never forget. And um, at the age of 12, I suffered my first major heart attack. I was in hospital for four months, and, and I became a, a depressed little boy, thinking that my life wasn't fair. And then I heard the doctors say to my mum through the curtains that um, your son's heart is so badly damaged that he will never be able to play sport again. And that was my dream. That was my dream that was supposedly going to be taken away from me and my mum come through the curtains and I made out I didn't hear what they said and I said to mum what did the doctor say and she said to me oh the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. She believed in me and I realised then and there that no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do, they'll only ever tell you what you can't do and it's your choice whether you choose to listen to that negativity and that hatred that's around you or whether you can truly believe in yourself and realise that anything is possible and after being told at the age of 12 I would never play sport again, three years later I was lucky enough to represent my country of Australia and I got a chance to fly to America and achieve my dreams of, of playing baseball in the States. So it's just amazing when you truly believe in yourself and you set a goal and a dream and a vision and you make the sacrifices. When you achieve them, it is just 
the most remarkable feeling. You know, talking about believing in yourself, setting goals and dreams, and it sounds, you know, I mean, that that's the perfect ingredient, right? I mean, you do that and look what you achieved, heart, heart attack at the age of 12. Three years later, you're representing your country, you're going off to America and you're fulfilling the dream. But if we had to go back to being the child at school who's nebulizing while other kids are playing, um, the name calling, feeling different at the age of 12, going through that, having the heart attack. I mean, when you're 12, you're becoming a teenager. You've got this testosterone surging through your body. You want to belong. You want to identify. Um, and and so when you're sitting there and you hear the doctor say one thing and your mother come up from behind the curtain and say something else to you, did you not question it? Did you not say, but mom, you're pulling the, the wool over my, ear, my eyes or mom, this isn't true. That's not what the doctors are saying. Why me? Why me? Did you go through that, Michael? Did you did you have those setbacks? Yeah, reflecting back on those times, there's two two thoughts on that. One, she never quit on me. How could I quit on myself? She never she never gave me ill advice. So how could I question her advice? Hmm. But I also realised that there are two types of people in the world. There are those that use the adversity, pain, and suffering in their life as the justification behind why they fail. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. And it's my choice that I get out of bed and I choose my pain and suffering as the motivation I need to continually strive to be the best version of myself and not prove other people wrong, but more importantly, prove myself right. Mm. Michael, we're going to take a very quick break. Please stay with us. Um, I've got so many more questions for you. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Thank you so much for holding. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. And I'm sure that you are as fascinated with our guest today as I am. Um, we're so delighted that Michael Crossland is chatting to us all the way from Australia. He is a speaker. He is an executive coach. He is a humanitarian, an international best-selling author. And he is our cancer warrior today. Uh, Michael, before the break, you were talking about two types of people, the one who uses the challenges and the adversities in life as a reason not to have succeeded or not to succeed. And then you've got the other one who uses the adversity and challenge to overcome and to succeed. Um, you know, clearly you talk about this mother, this immovable force in your life, the support, the person who told you you can and you believed her, who told you you will and you believed her. Um, and that has been your life. I mean, you've spoken about challenges and the hardship of going to school. What would you say to those, Michael, who just cannot see it your way, who feel like the challenges are too much, who feel like um, it isn't fair that they've been given those challenges? How do you shift into the other mindset? Yeah, I think that life is all about choices. And you need to personally make the choice and make the decision that you want to lead a better life. You know, I love the saying... I cried when I didn't get a new pair of shoes until I saw a boy that had no feet. Regardless of the pain and the adversity and the suffering that we go through, there are people in this world that will do anything to have your bad day. And I really, really have understood that now. And I know that we'll get to it later on in this interview, but having the opportunity to open up my own orphanage overseas and seeing what real pain and real suffering 
than real, real fear and anxiety and worry about just simply making it through the day. Optimism and courage are two powerful tools. And as long as you can sometimes or regularly step out of your own shoes and still your heart with those feelings and, and, uh, and shift your mindset by utilizing perspective to your benefit, it's amazing the suffering that we can go through. But mm. at the end of the day, it's about the choices that we make. Mm. If you want to lead a better life, do you, do you think that you deserve to lead a better life? You simply need to make the choice to say, you know what, this is the way my story is not going to end. I'm going to get out of bed every day and I'm going to challenge myself to do something that my future self will be proud of and give me an opportunity every day to be grateful of the simple things in life that we all take for granted. Michael, um, I, I love that and we are going to be talking about that a little bit later, the, the, the great work that you've been doing in Haiti, this idea instead of shining the torch um, on the self all the time and taking the torch and shining it on others and see where you can be of service, you know, I mean, there it is. But we, we are going to we are going to get there. I, I'd love to hear about this young boy with these big, big dreams who goes off to the United States of America and does what he was told he would never be able to do, play sport and he you know off you went and you played baseball what was that like for you tell us tell us about the stories and and how that impacted your life yeah the goosebumps and the excitement I feel just thinking about being in a position where you were able to achieve something that everybody in your life besides the people that truly knew you told you that it would never happen and I think again and again and again I constantly reflect back on it and it's not about working hard every day to prove other people wrong. It's about working hard every day to prove yourself right. So it was an incredible experience. I, my, uh, my biggest crowd that I'd ever played in front of in Australia was about 25 people. And when I got to America, the first game I played over there was in front of 25,000 people. So that was just the most insane experience ever. But, you know, what I've realized in life is that sadly in the world that we live in, we wait until it's too late before we decide to change. We wait until we're diagnosed with lung cancer before we stop smoking. We wait until we're diagnosed with diabetes before we change our diet. We wait until we lose someone that we love before we tell them that we love them. And I challenge all your listeners uh, right now, unless you're driving in the car, to uh, send a text message to somebody that you care about and tell them how much they mean to you. I just want you to write... Hey, I really care about you. Thanks for being a great friend. And I guarantee you, I know what they'll all write back, and it'll be just two words and a question mark, and those two words will be, what's wrong? You know, it's crazy. We don't share with people what they mean to us until it's too late. And my time over there was an incredible journey, an incredible roller coaster, with lots of highs and lots of lows. But unfortunately, um, I was only over there for six months before my health deteriorated and my heart couldn't cope with the challenges. And uh, my career was over. Um, I was sent back to Australia, and uh, I never, never really played that competitive of baseball ever again. But you know, I, I reflect on my time over there, and it was, it was truly remarkable. And I wouldn't change one thing. It was, um, it was the most amazing experience. I met some incredible lifelong friends, and it just shows that when you truly sacrifice. And you make the commitment to achieve your dreams when you get there. All that hard work worthwhile. Um, I, I love both of those things that you said. One, sending the message to someone that you love. 
Um, I think everyone should do that, as you've said, unless they're driving. I, I just love that. And so true, the fulfilling of one's dreams. So what happens when you return to Australia? You fulfilled the dream. You know, it was cut short because of your health. And now you get back to Australia and you think, now what? What do you do with that? I got back to Australia and I got a job in what some people say is a very boring industry. I got a job in banking. And I had no idea about banking. I didn't have a clue about banking. But I managed to get in the door and I was a greeter. So I would just stand at the door and greet people when they came in. And I was only on the job for about three days when a tall old guy came in and he said to me, Michael, I'm Tom. I'm the CEO. Let's have a chat. So I went into the booth and he said to me, Michael, I want you to tell me where you see yourself in five years' time. Now, I was 19 at the time. I didn't know where I was going to be on a Friday night, where I was going to be in five years' time. But my mum, she always told me, son, shoot to the moon, and if you miss, you'll end up in the stars. So that was my dream and goal, and I said to him, you know what, Tom, in five years' time, I'm going to take your job. And that didn't go down real well. He wasn't overly happy with that commitment, but I was determined to be the most successful person I could be. And I realized that all I needed to do was fail fast, fail forward, and fail often. And I needed to invest in myself and then invest in my team so that they could have my skills and the team and the company. They wouldn't move me out of the company. They would just move me up. And within 12 months, I was the youngest bank manager in Australia. Within two years, I had an area manager's role. Within three years, I was looking after a state. And within five years or four and a bit years of working with the organization, um, I was the National Sales Development Manager for one of the largest companies in the world. There were 600 staff, 120 banks, and every second Friday I would meet up with my mate Tom, the CEO, and we would have a chat about everything. And he would talk to me about how's my customer service going, how's my profit margins going, how's my staffing numbers going. And I'd always end up asking the last question, and that was, and Tom, how's your superannuation going? How's your retirement plan going? Because I wanted a job. But uh, I realized that I was driven by the three P's that destroyed people. I was driven by power, privileges, and possessions. And I needed to have the million-dollar house. I needed to have the $100,000 sports car. I needed to wear the Rolex and the Armani suits. And I was just so lost with what I thought success was going to bring me because I thought success was about materialistic possessions that we could gain. But I understand that success is about creating joy and happiness in one's life. And I created the materialistic wealth, but I couldn't create the happiness or the substance of happiness that I thought it was going to bring me, um, which really, really made it very challenging. And sometimes I think we need to hit rock bottom in our life for us to make the choice to change. And unfortunately, my mum and dad, they separated. I invested my mum's money in 2007, um, and the return from that money we were going to get would be able to put a roof over my mum's head. Um, But unfortunately... I invested her money about six weeks before the global financial crisis hit and I lost all of my mum's money. Hmm. So in 2009, I had to put my mum in a trailer in a caravan park because I had so much debt in Sydney trying to make myself look bigger than other people. And then in 2010, I finally hit rock bottom. And I say that with optimism and a smile because I needed to go to that place. I, I was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis I had fluid on the brain, and I had Bell's palsy down the right hand side of my body, which is like a stroke. And I remember every night I would lie in bed and I would pray to God that I wouldn't wake up because I was lost, I was lonely, and 
I didn't want to fight anymore. I thought to myself, over and over again, how many times does one man have to get kicked hmm. before he gets a chance to lead a normal life? Yeah. Sure, Michael, the roller coaster ride that, um, that you're describing, that you're sharing with us is just quite overwhelming. Um, and I'm sure for you in 2009, having to put your mom, who was and is absolutely everything, um, to you must have been incredibly, incredibly difficult. We're going to take a break, Michael, because, you know, this is just part of your story. I mean, here we are talking to you and, um, and so you continue, um, with, with your incredible, um, going within and, and really reaching very, very deep and, and pulling out, um, so much strength and insight and wisdom. And so let's continue with it after the break. Please stay with us. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Well, good afternoon. If you have just tuned in, my name's Nikki Seberini. Uh, this is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination here for you on 101.9 High FM. Michael Crossland is our guest today. He is our cancer warrior. He is an executive coach. He's a speaker. He is a motivational speaker, humanitarian, um, and international best selling author. Michael, just before the break, you spoke about 2010 hitting rock bottom. After being on a high of having so much success in your career um, and um, then unfortunately the crash, your parents separating, your mother losing money, you losing a whole lot of your mother's money, which I can only imagine must have been devastating for you. And then the meningitis and being so ill and then asking the question, why is this happening to me? How did you get up, Michael? What happened then? So I realized when I was in hospital that I needed to master two things and my whole world had changed. I needed to master what success was and I needed to master the gift of giving. And now I understand what success is. Success is about getting out of bed every single day and knowing in your heart that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. Success to me now is not about how big my house is or how big my salary is. Success to me is about how big my heart is and to know that I can truly serve and and make a difference in other people's lives is what continually gets me up in my body and my mind and my health so that I should. The second thing I ended up understanding master was this whole gift of giving, and I understand it now. I thought the saying was, the more you give, the more you shall receive. But that saying should be, the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. Mm. So I wanted to make a difference in somebody's life where they will never, ever be able to return the favor. So I decided to go to a little place called Carefor in Haiti, uh, Haiti is an hour and a half flight south of Miami. As many would know, in 2010, an earthquake hit Haiti killed 316,000 people. That's two and a half million people homeless. And I went over there and I rebuilt a school for 120 little kids in a remote village called Bouvier. And on the way back from rebuilding that school, I walked past this little orphanage and there was 25 little kids in there. And um, the visual was heartbreaking. The smell, the emotion... Um, was torture and I spoke to this one little boy that was there and I said what's the best part about living here in the orphanage he said oh the best part is I get a bowl of rice guaranteed every second day he said um, after my mum dad and both my brothers died in the earthquake the only two that I would ever get to eat would be out of garbage bins I lived on the streets for four months so now to be in this little orphanage at least I know that I'm getting some rice every second day and I had to ask him, I said, if that's the best part, what's the worst part? 
he couldn't get the horse potty at night time because where he sleeps, he has a little tarp over his bed. And when it rains, he gets soaking wet. And he said, it doesn't really matter what it rains, but he still gets soaking wet. He shares the bed and And I thought to myself, and there are some days that I complain about traffic. There are some days that I complain that it's too hot or it's too cold. Or I want this or I want that or I need this and I need that and I don't have them. And then there's this sweet, innocent little boy that's grateful that he gets a bowl of rice every second day and he's not complaining mm. about the fact that he gets peed on every night. Mm. And again, it made me made me reflect very quickly on the fact that it's not the adversity in your life that defines you, it's how you deal with it. So I decided to go back to Australia. I raised a whole heap of money. I started my own uh, charity with a group of friends called Frontier Projects where every cent gets sent. I think there's a lot of charities in the world where the CEOs and the, the managing directors and the employees take way too much of that cut, whereas we thought, you know what, we're going to make sure that we make a global impact and every cent goes to the cause. Uh, we raised a whole heap of money, we went back and rebuilt the orphanage from the ground up. And uh, now we have uh, 41 children that live in the orphanage. They all get three meals a day, they all get a roof over their head, they're all getting an education. And they're realising that the pain and the suffering and the poverty that they live in and were brought up in is not normal and that they can truly achieve some remarkable things. And you know what's so crazy about doing this is that I went over there because I wanted to make a difference in somebody's life who would never be able to return the favour. But they have taught me so much about life. They've taught me so much about never giving up. They've taught me so much about courage. And one of the... One of the greatest things that they taught me is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You know, I look at these kids and they had no iPads, no laptops, no computers, no nothing. And they woke up this morning and they thought they had everything in the world. And the reason why they thought they had everything in the world is because they simply woke up this morning. And I think to myself, can you imagine if that's the way you look at your life? You wake up every single, you wake up every single morning and you think to yourself, you know, I could achieve anything that I set my heart to. I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish. And the reason why I can do that is because I simply had the opportunity to wake up this morning. What a difference in an outlook. Mm-hmm. What an incredible way to look and view at your challenges in your, in your life with such optimism and, and courage and determination and excitement. What a, what a remarkable thing to uh, live your life by. And, and that, that, was a, that was a really big turn for me. You know, we were told that we would never be able to have kids because... Uh, with my health challenges and to be able to have 41 beautiful little babies um, that I get to look after on the other side of the world uh, was, a, was a very special gift, a very special moment. And, um, you know, I feel very humbled and very blessed to be able to take care of these amazing little angels. Um, Michael, just just hearing what an impact these young kids have had on your life um, and being able to change lives because, you know, one life you're changing, you're changing so many. There's just such a, a huge impact there. Um, you know, here in South Africa, we we have so many challenges here every single day. Um, and uh, one can be overwhelmed or and think, you know, there's nothing I can do or you can take one step. And I think that that's really what we try and really encourage within ourselves, with our children. It's it's one step. And, and I just um, I just love that you started off with this young boy um, who appreciated a bowl of rice every second day and you've turned it into something and, and you've learned so much from it. And now we're learning so much from that. And that's. 
how incredible this world is and that's why it's so wonderful to be able to share these kind of stories. I do want to, um, I do want to touch on, um, your difficulty with, with your son. Um, you know, I can only imagine with these, these young kids in Haiti, you, you learning about children and, you know, the impact and what you want to be doing with your own kids. If you were ever going to be in a position to have kids, as you said, you know, with your illness, doctors had said that it probably wouldn't happen, but your wife did fall pregnant and, um, it was such a huge blessing. Um, but then of course, um, um, Lackey was born prematurely and, and yet another challenge, um, was thrown your way. And I've, I've tried to research and I think the latest, um, most recent article that I came across was in, in March, Michael, and, and Lackey seemed to be doing, um, so much better. How is your son? And perhaps you can just share it with our audience as well. Yeah, since uh, since building the orphanage, there's been lots of ups and downs, lots of excitement, lots of highs, and and uh, very dark, challenging lows. Um, in 2016, I was finally in a position to do something that I wanted to do, and that was to be able to buy my mum a new home, to be able to give back to the woman that sacrificed so much of her life for me. Was without a doubt one of the greatest things I've ever been able to do. But unfortunately, that same year, my health deteriorated, and they found fortunes in my throat. And I was told that I would be very, very lucky if I was to manage to get through it. Uh, they told me that my tomorrows weren't guaranteed. But I remember saying to the doctors, oh, that's one thing that we all have in common, um, that no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And I've realized that it's not about the amount of days that we live on this earth that determines the quality of our life. But it's about what we're sitting with those days that allows us to have a remarkable life. I remember driving home from the doctors and, and uh, my mum called and she said, oh, uh, what did the doctor say? And I finally got to return a favour and I told her that the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. Mm. So in late uh, 2016, I had surgery to remove the tumours. Unfortunately, they could only remove three out of the four tumours. So I am very fortunate to still be here and, and extremely blessed. Um, at that time in my life, I decided to write a book because I really felt that my time was going to be up. Um, the book is called Kids Don't Get Cancer. And the reason why it's titled that is because when I was diagnosed, my mum said to the doctor, no, that can't be right, kids don't get cancer. And then when mum told dad, dad said the same thing and the same thing and so on and so forth. Um, So now it's a bestseller across six different countries around the world and we donate all the profits to charity um, in hoping that it can make a difference. And uh, I I pushed through that uh, surgery and then... um, yeah, the whole baby thing was amazing. My wife and I we tried for many, many, many years uh, through IVF to be pregnant, and there were some wins and then some losses, unfortunately. But um, yeah, in June last year, we found out that we were going to have a baby, and we got through the 12 weeks, and uh, we were allowed to tell our family, which was great. And then our beautiful baby was due to be born at the end of February, and on the 8th of December, unfortunately, my wife. Um, she had um, she had back pain and she was um, we took her to hospital and uh, they told me that she was two centimeters dilated. So um, she was uh, immediately elected to a hospital in Sydney and um, four days later we had a beautiful little boy called um, called Lachlan James and um, he was. Uh, he was only 1,300 grams. He was 
10 weeks premature and he had a pretty bad infection. Um, and he got through that infection, doing okay, and then four weeks later we got transferred from the Sydney hospital to our home hospital, which was really, really exciting because we were so close to home and we could go home of a, of a night time and, and uh, laying our own bed. And then um, one day we were in there and he finally started breastfeeding and he stopped breathing and they had to take him away and the doctor thanked him and thought that we were going to lose him and... Um, they told me that he had an illness called sepsis, um, and they told me that he probably wouldn't make the end of the week. And um, this was on a Tuesday, and um, my wife, um, my wife asked me, "What did the doctor say?" And I, I lied to her, and I told her that everything was going to be okay. But after we were elected to Sydney Hospital, and um, we stayed there for another month or so, and. Um, I just couldn't believe his resilience and his fight. And um, now, six months later, um, he's a beautiful, healthy little boy. He was six kilos. And um, he is the apple of my eye, and he has um, certainly opened a new valve in my heart. And I truly now understand what, um, what love is. And I'm a very proud dad, and, and I'm I'm immensely, immensely appreciative of the doctors and um, of obviously my, my gorgeous wife and, and her patients. And they were going through such a uh, traumatic time. I think it was the first time in my life where I truly understood what my mum felt like. You know, we we holding on to every single word of yours, Michael, and um, I'm sure everyone listening is feeling exactly how I'm feeling, just once again overwhelmed with emotion, and we can hear that emotion in your voice, and you seem to be just, um, you, you really do wear your heart on your sleeve. You spoke about being this little 11-month-old little boy, and you didn't shake hands, you gave hugs, um, and um, that's you. You're, you're emotional, you speak about your feelings you talk about this beautiful son of yours with with so much emotion and 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 so much sensitivity and vulnerability and we all feel that and um you know and it's helping us grow just listening to you we gaining so much from this michael um as you say, going through this and realizing and really feeling how your mother must have felt and making that decision to put you through that experimental process where 24 children died and, and you were the only one who survived. So I have to ask you this question because I know you've thought about purpose and giving and love and sharing and courage and everything, but I want you, Michael, um, with everything that you've endured, with you, with your heart on your sleeve, why do you think you were put onto this earth? I think the worth of working in life comes not in what we do or who we know, but by who we are. And I, I just want to be the best version of myself every day. And mm. um, many years ago, I replaced my fear of dying with my faith in God, which gave me great strength through some very dark days. And I think that the purpose for me on this earth is to get out of bed and make a difference in just one person's life every single day. And it's amazing how my senses are heightened every single day to find an opportunity, find a person, find a heart, find a soul that needs a hand, that needs a hug, that needs a smile. You know, something as simple as giving someone a smile down the street can have such a huge impact on their life. And, you know, I, I realize that, that that's why I'm here and that's why I'm still here. And 
I hope that's why I continue to keep getting up when life throws me incredible and knocks me back down because uh, I truly understand that life is such a remarkable gift every day is a privilege and a bonus. And I know that when my time is up on this earth, my tank is going to be on end. It's going to be empty. There's going to be nothing left. Mm. I just want to serve and, and, and give to others every day. And, and hopefully when I when I get to my final resting place, I've been able to make a, a difference in many people's lives all around the world. Well, Michael, you've certainly touched each and every person who's been listening to this show today. Um, and we just want to really thank you so much for for taking the time out, for sharing the story. And I know you've done it many, many times, but I, I get the feeling and we all get the feeling that every time you do, you you know, it's not just recalling a memory. It's as if you're climbing back and you're going along that journey. Um, and that can't be easy, but we've gained, as I said, we gained so much from it. You, you have inspired us today and I am so inspired. And, um, the, the idea of going beyond the self and giving and reaching out to others, stopping for a moment and sending that message to someone that we haven't told that we love, that we love, that we appreciate them waking up and thinking, this is a blessing. We have another day. What can we do with it? Having heightened senses so that we can see others and we can really live the lives that we are supposed to live. So, Michael, you've 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 touched us all. Um, you are just an incredible human being. And we have so, so loved having you on the show today. And a uh, privilege of mine. And thank you for taking interest in my life and my story, my journey. And hopefully one day I can get over to South Africa and, and share my story live in front of the in front of a big crowd to inspire more people to look at their life differently. Well, we certainly hope sooner rather than later, Michael. And for those people, um, you know, you are on YouTube and, of course, this fantastic bestseller, Kids Don't, uh, uh, Kids Don't Get Cancer. Um, I'm sure that a, a lot of the bookstores here in South Africa have them. Um, if not, how can people get their hands on, on the book, Michael? Yes, we do not have the book in any bookstore anywhere in the world. The reason why is because... We want to make sure that all the profits go straight to charity. So the only way you can get my book is on my website, michaelcrossland.com. I will make sure I personally sign every one of them and get them sent out to you. And obviously I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those other sites as well. So I'd love for you to connect with me. But uh, thank you again for having me on the show. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Well, welcome. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination on 101.9 High FM. What an extraordinary interview that was with Michael Crossland. Um, what an experience. What a story he has to share. Just as you think you've heard everything, um, he just shares more of the challenges. And yet throughout it all, his humanity, his sensitivity, his generosity, his strength um, shines through and he's just such an inspiration um, we're very lucky to have got him so thanks to Lee our producer Lee Wolf always going out and getting these great um, guests for us here on the DL Link show well you know we do so many exciting things um, and there's so many exciting fundraising events that happen um, really I would say on a weekly basis um, so we're delighted to have Michelle Goodman in the studio um, founder of the DL Link to tell us what's been happening at the DL Link in the past year you know you are so generous with your donations where does your money go what is the deal link doing in the community and who better to tell us than michelle mish welcome 
Panicky. It's always lovely having you on the show, Mesh. Uh, I wish I could say this. It is lovely to be on the show. We have to force her to come in. We've tied her down to the chair. She's too busy doing. Mesh, for people who are just tuning in, or maybe this is the first time today, and they think, but what is the DL Link? What is the DL Link? What do you guys do? Essentially, we call the DL Link like a chicken soup organization um, where we offer people like lifestyle support, just a, a fusion of, of love, care, hope to inspire, courage, determination, by giving them lifestyle and emotional support to both the patients or the warriors and to their families who are traveling the journey for cancer. And you started out in 2010, and now in 2018, you're looking after how many families? About 718. About 718. Mm-hmm. And it's helping people when they go to chem- for chemotherapy, if it's a lift or if it's a meal when they get back, or if it's helping kids with homework or doing the schlep or having the challah on a Friday night. And it's all those soft but huge, huge, huge holding of of the warriors and their family. I mean, Correct. everyone talks about the DL link. It's about belonging to a family. Correct. Mm, just a family incredible. one doesn't want to belong to, mm. but when in need, we are there. And the wonderful thing that I find, Mesh, is that so many of the warriors who have you, who have lent on the DL link, who the DL link have supported emotionally, spiritually, they give back always. Oh, you know, yes. part of the family, they don't move on. They they go, now what can I do to help? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just Absolutely. They, they really want to make giving. a difference mm, to others. Mm. So, Mish, we, we have the show every every week, and we really hope to inspire and inform our audiences. Um, and you're always doing incredible things and fundraising, and probably people want to know, well, what is it that you do? Where does the money go? When I, when I give money to the DL link, what am I giving it for? So when we made a bit of an assessment, Nikki, we came up with where have we been from 2017 to 2018. And with the number of people increasing from, I think, 600 last year to 780 currently, (coughs) we've had to employ extra staff Mm -hmm. to try and, you know, accommodate servicing the needs. So from five staff, we've now increased from 2017 to 10 fully paid Full-time staff members. Wow. Um, Unfortunately, but over 180 new people who've come through the doors of the Dear Link. When we work it out, we have offered over 4,800 hours of care giving, inverted commas, giving care in whichever manner Mm -hmm. in the past year. Mm -hmm. 4,800 hours. Um, we've delivered over 240 bunches of flowers to mm. various warriors. We've delivered 72 of our signature balloon stunning gifts. Mm. We have delivered over 1,500 homemade chalas. She was. <laughs> you know, when I, we made the calculations, it's like, whoa. 1,500. Who's been baking them? All incredible women. <laughs> Most out of me. Well, we thank Lucette who bakes for us at least six per week. Fifteen hundred. Wow. And many of them are made out of our own home. She was. Yeah. Um, And we also thanking David. They've just did a drive right now uh, to get us the ingredients: flour, yeast, oil, etc., which last us really a long time. So thank you to the Grade Fours of King David. 
Um, we've given over 360 gifts, whether it be birthdays, just inspiration, dropping off at someone during their treatment, 360 gifts per year. We delivered 400 Purim little packs for Purim and 500 Shmura Matzah packs that were donated for us because of the deep significance of Shmura Matzah and the concept of healing. Mm-hmm. So we chose to do that and we thank the Baumgartens for donating that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've given 480 patient packs out this year. We've organized two spa days, one at J Revive, beautiful, beautiful spa where People just didn't want to go home. Uh, we were actually sure. just going through the quote where one of the ladies wrote. She says, I didn't die, but I'm in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and that, she speaks about the whole day's experience being heavenly, um, having her mani and her pedi and just a magnificent spa day where we had at least over 100 people for several hours of the day. Mm. Um, we've had... Four uh, sessions of Hoping is Coping, each one of those run for four weeks. Is it that course? That course. That and that is for right. more for newly diagnosed um, warriors, mm-hmm. but we've run four of those over the year. Sure. We've had 80 very happy campers at Cool Kids Camp. Thank you to Lee Bender and her family where they've been on fantastic outings, acro branch, trampolining, whatever is fun, you name it. Avalanche, very happy campers. Um, we've had inspiring talks with Roz Bass, Linda Levy, and other inspirational speakers. Um, our major event for the beginning of the year was the 2018 Jerusalem Marathon. Thanks to Tammy and Terry for all the input, and to Gabby, um, who ran, Gabby ran for the entire Dear Link, but we also ran individually for 80 warriors, and very excitingly, we had three warriors who crossed the finish line twice. In 2017, they were treated for cancer and crossed the line of, thank God, finishing their chemo. And in 2018, they broke the ribbon of the 2018 Jerusalem Marathon. It's extraordinary. It was just incredible. Really? Wow. And one of those ladies has just been elected to run the New York Marathon. And we congratulate Brenda Stern for Brenda. Being hey, she, <laughs> and she's going to be running. She's in become November. a runner. She has All of be, a sudden, oh, I love out of, it. Out of this, this she became is, a runner. What was birthed? A runner was birthed. I love that. So she's very excited. Oh, to go that's to fantastic. Good um, for Brenda. The end of last year, the ninety-four point seven cycle challenge. Thank you to Moshe Jacobson and. Shimshon Cranus, who came up with the suggestion, and Tammy and Terry for putting it together. And there again, we had a team of 40, 40 riders, cyclists, who ran for over 40 warriors and had great fun. Hmm. We had the Dear Link Three Seas dinner where we hosted over 400 guests. We were a little squashed, <laughs> but it was an amazing event. Wow. Um, our very, very beloved Bev Siegel was our guest speaker. And um, Oscar van Memeti was also um, our guest artist. We've had the Pink Shabbos where we've given out over a 1,000 packs. We have given over 384 lifts per year in the car that was sponsored by Craig Lipschitz. We've delivered 600 meals per year. 
We've given out 240 crafts per year. We've organized through the kindness and generosity of people donating, but we've done the organizing holidays to Sabi Sabi, Umschlange, Sun City, Birchills, you name it, many others, over mm-hmm. 36 holidays in the year. Mm-hmm. And we've given out a selection of good quality styled shaitels or wigs to people. Um, and there's more, isn't there? Can't be. there can't, I'm exhausted. Well, <laughs> Have you done that? And this is only in 12 months. <laughs> That's incredible, Mish. That really, really is incredible. It's kept us busy. <laughs> it's kept you busy. And then, of course, coming up on the 17th of June, being Father's Day, you've teamed up with Maccabi South Africa. So we are one of the beneficiaries. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's wanting to go on that wonderful family run stroke walk. Yep. Um, they can go along and then choose the DL link as the beneficiary yes. once they've got that sponsorship. Amazing, yeah. just amazing. Yeah. But something also huge has happened this year. You grew, you woke up one day and you had a dream. I have a dream <laughs> that we will buy our own facilities. And we now never forget you, you walked in and you said, yes, now we'd like to buy something. And I said, well, Michelle, if you've dreamt it, I know you're going to get it. So you've, you, you've bought your own property, the DL link, which is. So- Wonderful. Thank God, Nick. Our vision has become a reality and we're laying our foundation, mm-hmm. our physical foundation. Um, the Dear Link is building a custom design center of love, care and counsel in which we offer our lifestyle support to the cancer warriors. So as we keep saying, let's give over 780 warriors a place to focus on healing while we focus on helping. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very meaningful um, because you're naming this, this center after someone very special. Indeed. <laughs> because with everything that you do, there's a meaning and then there's another meaning and there's, it's, it's very layered in terms of the energy and the meaning. So expand on that, Mish. So, yes, we saw property at 90 George Avenue, which we have been fortunate enough to have the offer accepted. We're now putting the finances together. But as you say, my dream, and on a personal level and I think on a community level, I would like, number one, to wish the Unterslag family um, long life. It is the six-year-old site of, of Dr. Rodney Unterslag um, this week. And as we know, there are many diff- there are different tasks assigned to different angels. And the angel of healing is known as Malach Raphael. And when choosing a name for a child, parents are gifted with intuition. It says parents have an intuition when they name their child. And that name becomes an essential part of the person. In fact, it shapes the soul's destiny. How incredible that our own Dr. Rodney was named Raphael. For all those who know him, his neshama, his mission, his entire being and essence was to be Hashem's missionary in bringing healing to the sick. Dr. Rodney gave so much more, though, than medical attention. Medically, he was like no other. But his voice, his manner, his eyes, his smile, his touch, his gentle way was infused with love and care and kindness. And he had 100% faith in Hashem every step that he took. Just mentioning about his touch, when my son Yossi was in a coma... It was Purim, and this clown walked in, (coughs) completely disguised, top to toe. Not one of us knew who he was, and Yossi was in a coma. 
and we were all guessing and guessing. None of us could get it. And Yossi said, thank you for coming to me, Dr. Rodney. And each of us said, but how did you know? He said, because of the way he kissed me. Really? <laughs> so from walking to Rodney's rooms and seeing his Tadaka box and his Tillim <coughs> um, and the Torah bookshelves on his sh- Torah books on his shelf and his routine and behavior, one just felt at peace that Hashem is a part of his world and his life and his presence. And Dr. Rodney and my Dvoralea, after whom the DL link is named, met for the first time Nikki in the emergency room soon after she was born. She had third-degree burns. And they established a lifelong connection, relationship, and friendship throughout her short life. (coughs) Dr. Rodney was there throughout her illness, and even when Hashem took her precious Nashama from this world, Dr. Rodney was there. Devole exuded happiness and simcha and faith, trust, joy, overcoming obstacles like we've just heard with Michael, mothering like no other, and inspired so many with her attitude to the obstacles she faced, and especially in her toughest challenge, when feeling so sick and asked how she was, she sincerely responded, Baruch Hashem, blessed is Hashem. What an honor and a privilege, and certainly no coincidence that we have chosen to name, or the Unterslag family have agreed to allow us to name the center, the DL Link Rafuel Center. And when I think now the last call that Devorelea took was to Dr. Rodney, when she so graciously thanked him for calling and said to him, Thanks, Dr. Rod, for taking away one-sixtieth of my illness. And that's what we had tried to do at the Dear Link, is to help others. And just like Michael said, it's not the adversity, but it's how you deal with it. And so the Dear Link was born. Mm. And now we have a Dear Link referral center. It's beautiful, Mishi. Thank you so much for... Wow, for sharing with, you know, the audience who are so vested in the DL Link, um, that what the center is going to be and what it's going to be named and just the meaning behind it as always. So many meanings. So thanks, Mesh. And what a, what an incredible job you continue to do and long may you do it and long may we um, broadcast every Thursday so people can tune in and be illuminated and inspired. And informed, please God, we will carry on and on and on. So thanks, Mesh. Thank you very Thank much you. for expanding. Was there anything else besides, of course, what's coming up on the 17th of June, which we'd like everyone to get involved in? Um, you know, we, we've always got interesting things on the go. No, everything. Um, we have a campaign that will be launched soon. <laughs> In of respect of do. number 90 George <laughs> Avenue, what can of I tell you? you do. Of course We've identified do. the property. Now we need to uh, finalize. Nikki, thank you uh, to you for everything you do and oh, for Lee too for producing such a show for it's, us. It's truly our pre- pleasure. Thank you, Mesh. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in. Always, always a delight to be in your company. Um, you know, Bennett's baby bum cream has been trusted for more than 25 years to help soothe and protect babies' bums. Bennett's baby bum cream is clinically proven to reduce redness, protect against wetness, and suitable for sensitive skin. You just need to apply a thin layer at every nappy change to prevent nappy rash. Bennett's baby bum cream, your trusted solution for nappy rash. For more information, 
information, go to www.bennettsforbabies.co.za or email us at info at bennettsforbabies.co.za. Until next week, do take care from me, Nikki Seberini. Goodbye.